each week, if you're new, each week what we do is um, myself or one of our other staff people or somebody else with the gift of preaching gets up, and what we do is we teach from the Bible in order to help our church community follow Jesus together. That's our, that's our aim in why we get up and even teach the Bible. Uh, and we're working our way through the book of Luke, and what we're doing is just kind of story by story, we're going through the book, and I finished up the last story, and a while back I looked, I knew what was coming and I knew that this week was a weird one. And I thought, man, this is so weird. Like, God, well, I know it's in the Bible, but this is a weird story. And, like, what if this is somebody's first time here? Because we have first-time visitors almost every time they come. And, like, this one is going to leave quite the impression because it's a, just a weird story. It's so strange. It's just bizarre. And I'll summarize it for you before we get in because we're going to read the whole story. But I'll start out here just summarizing the story. This story is a story where Jesus... Um, casts out, um, no other word for it, demons, <laughs> from a guy who appears to be a madman. So again, I'm just imagining somebody, first time here maybe, or they've only you know, just started coming to church, and they're like, oh boy, here we go, seriously, there's, okay, we've got the demon church here, now this place is weird. So, and this place is a little weird, but not for that reason. Um, I mean, like how many of you ha- have, have a... Everybody has a one family oddball, right? Raise your hand if you have a family oddball in your family, right? Okay, look around. Those of you with your hands down, you are the family oddball. I'm just, you're welcome. You're the weird one. But again, I was nervous because this just seems odd. It seems weird. But then I noticed like, oh, hey, wait a second. This is kind of like... Halloween is like this theme that, you know, whether, whatever you think about Halloween, and there's some stuff to be, I'm sure, concerned about, but, but um, I think Brittany coined the term, it's like, oh, this week will be kind of like spooky sermon, right, to go along with all the other stuff. Like, you know, Netflix, I looked up their, their or I'm sorry, Amazon Prime video, like, here was their promotion for the month of October, said, Halloween season is officially here, and Prime Video is setting the spooky vibes with a slew of horror shows and movies this month, so... They're going for it. And then Netflix, I looked up their promo for October, and they said, what's more frightening than Halloween night? An empty Netflix queue. Whether you're, okay, looking to get spooked or cuddle up on the couch, we've conjured up some new titles. So, by the way, maybe if this pastor thing doesn't work out, I could try some voiceover work. Yeah, I'm not sure about that, right? Um, like even Disney Plus, which, you know, it's supposed to mostly be for kids. They're in on the action. Uh, it's Hallow Stream, get it? Hallow Stream 2023, now screaming on Disney Plus. So, uh, yeah. But the, I, I just noticed, like, all of these things. So it was like, okay, I guess maybe today, this episode, this next story in the book of Luke, I guess it sort of fits with this spooky theme. But listen, it's still, it's still weird. It's really weird. Um, but hear me, every hear me, every Jesus story, um, the story of Jesus in everyone's life, every Jesus story is a story worth telling. So, buckle up. Here we go. Luke chapter eight tells us that Jesus and picture he's got his whole crew with him. Verse twenty six. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn any clothes or lived in a house, but lived among 
the tombs. Now, what's interesting is not only Luke, but um, Matthew tells this story, and, and Mark also tells this story, so we get a few extra details um, when we look at all three stories together. Mark 5, here's one of the details Mark 5 adds, just to paint a picture of this dude. Um, it says, night and day from among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So, there you go. That's the story that's the start of the story, but trust me, it gets weirder. Um, but before we get into the story, I want to back up just a little bit, because there are some important details in the setting of the story, important details that we've covered in weeks before. Um, so right before this weird story happens, uh, we see that Jesus in his posse, which we learned a couple of weeks ago, uh, what it meant um, was not just Jesus and his 12 disciples, but uh, Luke says that there were women followers traveling with them as well, all along the way. Luke shows us that that's a part of the picture. So it's not Jesus, Jesus and the 12 dudes. There's, there's women along the way. There's, most scholars say there was at least 20 people in this troop traveling with Jesus, men and Women. So, what happens, if you were here last week, what happens to that big crew when they get into a boat uh, right before this story? Anybody know what happens? Yes, they hit the storm of their lives. They run into a huge storm, and, and what happens in the storm eventually, again, it's, it's worth reading. Sermon might be worth hearing next week, but the story is definitely worth reading. Um, they get up, and it says, Jesus rebukes the storm, which I talked about why that word is important. He rebukes the storm, and the storm calms down. And again, that's just a fabulous story. So the storm calms down, and now picture again, huge boat, at least 20 people in there with Jesus. They head for shore. And again, I've told you, I've said, you know, these details that Luke gives us are not unimportant. They're there for a reason. It says again, I'll read verse 26, where they're headed, it says, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Now, part of why this is important is this is not like a once upon a time kind of magic invented space like Narnia, right? That's not what this is. This is a real physical location. It's a real town and a real place. It says, across the lake from Galilee. So, Jesus' headquarters in Galilee was a town called Capernaum, and if you were to look across the lake, what you would see are the hills of this place, the Gerasenes. You would see these hills, and even though it's only six miles across the lake from Capernaum to the Gerasenes, it's six miles across, but it is a whole different world when you go across the lake. See, on Jesus' typical side of the lake, um, it was uh, uh, God-fearing Jews. But then over here on the Gerasene side, these are not Jews. These are Gentiles. They are pagans. They are idol worshipers. They have all kinds of weird traditions and some pretty brutal uh, war tactics this six miles away. Um, picture over, and you can actually look at pictures of what this looks like to this day. The, the one side of the lake... Um, you have these, the Jewish side is these rolling hills, beautiful pastures, farmland, but on the other side, um, it's kind of more rocky, and what's happening on the other side at that time was the Gentiles were raising pigs. Now, if you were Jewish, 
Um, And to this day, Jewish folks believe that pigs are ritually unclean animals. So Jews would not touch pork. And for me, like I think about bacon, that makes me sad. Um, I'm glad that Jesus doesn't keep us under those Old Testament ritual laws. Um, But these two groups, other sides of the lake, they were not fond of each other. Jews despised Gentiles. And how many of you know that when you know that somebody kind of despises you and looks down on you, you're probably not going to be real fond of them either, right? So there's no love lost between these folks on the opposite side of the lake. Um, And with all of that picture in mind... um, So, number one, it's not just Jesus and 12 dudes. There's a whole crew of his posse, women as well. Picture them coming as we think about them landing on the shore. Second thing, imagine, know here that this is Jews as they come to shore, moving into hostile territory. And three, remember, they had just had an exhausting night. Then Luke 8, verse 27 When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town for a long time. This man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Now, again, more details uh, Matthew gives us says that this guy was so violent that no one could pass the road by that way because he would attack them. Uh, Mark says this guy cut himself. Luke, right here, again, we're developing a picture of what this guy's like, says that the guy, the dude, was buck naked, right? So... Like, this is wild. This is a wild picture. And Mark tells us that as Jesus and the whole crew, again, picture them all, come ashore, this dude comes running at them. Like, can you imagine? Jesus' crew, they're all just exhaustive. They've survived this massive storm. They, they're starting to ask huge questions about who Jesus actually is. Have they even understood it? They're starting to understand, so their senses are on overload. No one has gotten any sleep. Well, except for Jesus. (laughs) On a cushion, Mark makes sure to tell us, right? But all they want, they just want to, like, pull the boat up. They want to get out of the boat. They just want to find a place and get some rest. And then, this guy, as they're getting ready to hopefully get some rest, this guy, imagine, He's completely naked, cuts and scars all over his body. He's got wild hair, scabs and bleeding. He's shouting, he's screaming, and imagine him running right at you, full speed, faster than you've ever seen any human ever run before. Uh, Our friend uh, John Lynch um, he, he, I love, he has a little picture of this moment where he kind of imagines, you know, the disciple Philip standing next to Jesus, and Philip looks at Jesus and says, you know, Jesus, traveling with you is a whole lot of drama. <laughs> so, just saying. Verse 28 says, when he saw Jesus, he cried out. And if we didn't have babies in the room, I'd scream myself, cried out, <laughs> fell at his feet, Shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. Probably you've never heard anybody read the verse quite like that, right? <laughs> it's because you haven't heard it read right. So uh, this guy was nuts, right? Okay? This guy's crazy, right? Verse 29, For Jesus commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was, picture this, he was chained hand and foot, kept under guard, he broke his chains, had been driven by the demon to solitary places. I mean, Luke paints a picture like, hey, listen, they tried. 
his people, his, maybe his family tried so hard to help him, to keep him from hurting himself or hurting others, but whew, nothing worked. Nothing worked. They couldn't do it anymore, so they had to finally just let him go out into the tombs, into the graveyard. I'm pretty sure, because uh, it said that he would shriek and howl, I'm pretty sure that they could still hear him from where he was. They could hear him shrieking. They could hear him all day, all night. Maybe it's like the sound we hear in the desert of coyotes in the distance at night. So like that, except... Tragically, they know that that's the sound of a man who they actually know, someone they couldn't really help. And he cuts himself. It says he takes rocks, he just gashes himself. So imagine his body is gashed by scars. And then verse 30, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. Mark gives us a little longer answer of how Jesus questioned, um, what is your name? He answered, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, that word legion is a, uh, a word, that's a Roman detachment of soldiers. And that detachment of soldiers was up to six thousand soldiers. It's a, it's a symbol of overwhelming power that would be structured to come in and take possession of a land, but here spiritually to take possession of a person or persons or even a region. So we are legion means there are thousands of us in here. Back to Luke 8. Here's what legion did. They they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. Now listen, I know this story is it's so weird, right? But here we're about to get into some stuff, no matter how much study or reading you do or whatever we believe, there's a lot of speculation on these next few verses. Nobody fully really understands all of this. Um, we do know this, so let me just say... Friends, Jesus is Lord over the universe. The enemy, no foul spirit, no demonic force, can stand before Jesus. Like, we know that that's true, but still, we also know that demonic spirits will roam this planet until the final judgment. And just, again, we can teach more on this if people want to know more about it, but, but Christians cannot be possessed like this man. Christians can't be possessed by demons, can be harassed, can be harassed, can be badgered, can be bothered, um, but cannot be possessed uh, by demons. Um, see, it's just weird, because as long as Satan is still the prince of this world, which Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world, this unbelieving world, as long as he's still the prince of this unbelieving world, then demons have not yet been taken off of this planet, and again, this is where it gets weird, because from what we try to discern from this or read from this passage, it appears that at least these particular foul spirits, they might, these ones might need some sort of life form to be in. And this is where it gets surreal, okay? <laughs> okay, I warned you, here we go. Luke tells us, <clears throat> a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs. The herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Now, 
Why does God allow demons to go into a herd of pigs to drown? Because there were no cats available. So that's... It's a divided crowd on that right there, yeah? Hey, listen, if you're mad about that, listen, I'm mad too, right? I, like, did you see how much bacon gets wasted right here? Google says you get about 16 pounds of bacon per pig, and yeah, there's about 2,000 pigs. That's, that's at least 32,000 pounds of bacon wasted, right? Not to mention the pork chops, right? Somebody had this great idea. They said, hey, just maybe, maybe we could cook bacon and serve it to people during this sermon just to make us feel better, which, not a bad idea. So anyway, where were we? Where were we? Okay, right. Um, okay, why does God allow demons to go into a herd of pigs? And the truth is, we just, we don't know for sure Again, my friend John Lynch, um, uh, he gives a good answer, uh, and, and I think it's a reasonable one. I think it's a good one. Uh, John says, um, God allows these demons to go into this herd of pigs because he doesn't want them in humans. Um, and again, we don't know why for sure. But I do know this. I'm sure Jesus has probably gotten a little bit of heat from Peter because of this scene, so, but uh, verse 34, verse 34, we'll move on here. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off, reported this to the town and countryside, so the people went out to see what happened. So again, picture this in the scenery. Oh, we've got some new characters. We've got some pig herders. Um, They wouldn't be cowboys, so I guess they'd be, ready? Dad jokes, sow boys, anyone? Huh? Just because you've grown, I'm going to keep saying sow boys. All right. So, but a picture of these guys are watching this whole thing go down. They see Jesus and his guys float up. They, all they know is there's a big boat of Jewish people. They're like coming up and dropping an anchor and they got to be like, oh dude, come on, this is going to be good. Let's leave the pigs over here. Let's go hide around the corner from the top of the hill and let's watch what happens. This crazy guy is going to be onto them. Oh, this will be fun. We got to watch this, right? But instead of... These guys seeing what they thought they'd see, like they thought they'd see these Jewish strangers like run for their lives. Instead, they see this exorcism. And then imagine the picture of the scene out of nowhere as their pig herd goes nuts. Imagine the sow boys up on the hill watching this go down as the pigs drown themselves in the water and they got to be looking at each other going, oh crap, we are in so much trouble. <laughs> So they run to the village, they get the townspeople, everybody, it says, comes out to see what's up. And Luke says this, says, when they came out to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were, what? Afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured, right? The sow boys are like, hey, wow, this is amazing. This is how it happened, and this and that, and then he did this, and he said that, and whoom, then, oh, it's a wild, like all the pigs, like, whoo, it was amazing. They just went into the water, they drowned. What? Oh. Oh, sorry, sir, those were your pigs? Yeah, no, I was, I was, yeah, sorry about that part. Sorry about that part. Um, um, but these people here, right, they, they've witnessed a miracle. They have seen a miracle, a Jesus story, but it says the people were afraid. So why were they afraid? And again, lots of study on this, but one ex- common explanation is that these people are shocked 
Um, because before, nobody could control this demon dude. So this guy broke chains. He terrorized the area. Nothing that they tried had ever worked. And in many pagan cultures, uh, what they believed was the only way they thought you could overcome a strong evil power was with a stronger evil power. So now that Jesus has kicked out the legion of demons, they know that he is more powerful than anyone or anything that they'd ever encountered before. They, they look over and this wild man who had embodied evil and fear previously, this man who was some of their neighbor, he was a friend to some at one point, had maybe even been a family member, and they see him set free. But because of their wrong understanding about how evil powers work, instead of rejoicing, they are terrified. Of Jesus. Um, now, <clears throat> I also think that maybe they knew that Jesus and Jews didn't ap approve of pork and they didn't want Jesus to go around destroying all their bacon supply, but that's not in the Bible or any study. That's just, you know, I'll write the book on that one. That's, uh, that's probably just made up. All right, so verse 37. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. And so... He got into the boat, and he left. They asked Jesus to leave. Now, I, I want to be very serious for a moment here. I think this little part of the story points to a sobering truth for all of us. See, I think when it comes to Jesus, you have two choices. Um, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus... If you haven't given your life to him, become a follower of Jesus, I think this points to the idea that you and I, that we have two choices when you encounter Jesus, when you meet Jesus. You either one bow at his feet or you ask him to leave. So maybe the terrifying thing is if you do, he does. If you ask him to leave, he he does. He doesn't force himself on anyone. It's not how he works. Even with all that power, that's not how he does it. You either bow at your, his feet or you ask him to leave. Now, if I go back to kind of picture myself, where would I be in this scene? I, I don't know about you, but I think like, again, think of what these villagers have seen. Like, if they saw that a man who was as you know, previously as crazy as a tin can was suddenly cured, like this naked dude who howled every night and kept the road blocked from anybody who came that way. If I saw that Jesus story, I'd want to know more about Jesus. See, because every Jesus story is a story worth telling. But instead of absorbing it, instead they reject Jesus, they tell him to leave, so he gets in the boat and then... After he's in the boat, verse 38, it says, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged, begged to go with Jesus, to go with them. Which, by the way, that just totally makes sense, right? Like, this is what, how long has this gone on? How long has he been this way? Does he have any, does he, he doesn't know. Do I have any family left? Do I have any friends? Those that I had were friends. Will they still be my friend? I have hurt and harmed so many people. I'm, I am filled with shame. They've seen me just run around naked, howling, cutting myself. You have no secrets if you're this man. 
So, of course, he begs, begs Jesus to go with him. But it says, Jesus tells him no. Right? You read this line, you go, what? Jesus tells him no? (laughs) Now, some scholars believe that Jesus tells him no simply because, and only because, this man's a Gentile. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, all of his followers and most of his ministry were to Jews. So the time would come one day for Jews and Gentiles, but the time was not yet for that. And so maybe, you know, like, I see that, I get it, but I'm not convinced. And even if that's part of the case, I think that's not the only reason that Jesus said no to this man. I think the main reason we can see right by continuing to read what Luke tells us, it says, Jesus sent him away, verse 39, telling him, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away, told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Right? Picture Jesus says to him, no, no, here's, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home. I want you to tell people about me, about what, tell them what Jesus did for you. That, that's all. That's it. Like Jesus enlists him as, a, as an evangelist, right? Maybe he's even the first evangelist to the Gentiles. And it says he does it, right? So try to just imagine, like, he does it. So where would his first stop be if he's going to go? Maybe, maybe his first stop would be at home. Um, and can you imagine his... Mom and dad, understandably, at first they see him and they flinch because they're terrified, but then they see their son is delivered, he's been restored, he's clothed, he's in his right mind, and then they get close enough to look into his eyes and they see that they're not wild anymore. He's been set free, he's, he's back, he's fully himself. And I just picture the mom and dad embracing the return of their son, and, and then maybe brothers and sisters come in, and they embrace him. And, man, I just imagine maybe the neighbors, like, they, they heard something's up, so they come over and say, hey, hey, we, we heard this rumor. And they go, no, no, it's true. He's right here. Look, look. And they're like, wow, dude, tell us, like, how did this happen? And I imagine the man saying, well, I was, um, whew. I was, I think the technical term is I was crazy, um, so I was out of my mind. I, I didn't even know my name most of the time. I had all these demons in me. I lost all hope. I was hurting myself. I just wanted to die. And then, huh, Jesus, Jesus, he doesn't have a lot to the story, does he? But it says, Luke says, he tells it all over how much Jesus had done for him because every Jesus story is a story worth telling so he keeps telling one neighbor after the other after the other and he's doing it probably just one at a time this one and then just one more and then another one at a time and before long he's told his city and then he goes and tells the next city And if you read this, you'd go, well, where do you get that, Doug? Well, that actually comes from a detail Mark chapter 5 gives at the end of his version of the man's story. He names the town. He says, the man, verse 20, Mark 5 says, the man went away, began to tell in the Decapolis, which is 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were 
amazed. See, the Decapolis, it's not just one city, it's 10 Gentile cities across the lake. And this man, all he did, because he didn't have much to know what to say, he just told what Jesus had done for him, and he told it over and over from city to city. That's his Jesus story, and that's why, this is why Jesus said to him, no, 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 people need to know. So you stay around here. You tell people about your story. Now, from the look of it, it looks like nice ending to this story. But this is fun because I've never connected the dots on this. This is where it's kind of fun that I get to study this stuff deeper. Because <laughs> I learned something new about this story um, from a guy named Dr. Mark Moore. He's a teacher, a professor. And the coolest part of this story is what actually happens a couple few chapters later. It's what happens next, because there's more to the story that I didn't realize before. So, um, Jesus does a bunch of other things. If you look at all the different Matthew, Mark, Luke stories here, he moves from this story and does some different things. Um, all three of them record that Jesus goes back to the other side of the lake, the Jewish side of the lake. He feeds the 5,000 and then, here's the cool part. Here's the rest of the story. Um, and Matthew and Mark are the ones that tell this story. Luke doesn't mention it. A few chapters later, he feeds the 5,000 Jewish side. It says he goes back across the lake to the Decapolis. This is the area of the 10 Gentile cities. He goes back to where these Gentiles lived. And what does he do? What's the miracle? Anybody know? He feeds the 4,000. He feeds 4,000 Gentiles. And it says it's 4,000 men, so like, plus women and children. So if it's just a husband, wife, and one kid, you've got like 10,000 plus right there that Jesus feeds at these 10 Gentile cities. And if you stop, you go, wait a minute. It was probably just months before. How long before? We're not for sure. But aren't these... People here, the same ones who asked Jesus to leave after they, the, the, the demon-possessed guy got delivered, aren't they the ones that asked Jesus to go? Yeah. These would be the same people. They, the same ones that asked him to leave are now sitting at his feet receiving what he has to offer them. So here's the big question. Where did between 4,000 and 10,000 pagans come from who previously had rejected Jesus and asked him to go away? Where'd they come from? Most likely, Dr. Moore uh, says, most likely they came about, they knew from the story of one man, one formerly demon-possessed man who knew that his Jesus story was a story worth telling. One man who if you had it up, had less than, you know, probably four or five, six hours of, you know, Bible college education, right? <laughs> and he's the one that told all these people. I mean, all he did, he didn't argue Bible facts. Like, he didn't give them philosophical arguments for Christ. He didn't quote scripture at them. He didn't debate apologetics. And he didn't use a tract to, you know, scare the hell out of them. <laughs> all he did, he simply said, Here's what Jesus has done for me. Here's what he did. And the gospel writers are pointing out, hey, friends, it works. That works. And often, that's all it takes. 
Because every Jesus story is a story worth telling. Now, I have to tell you, when I started writing this message, I thought it was going somewhere completely different. I thought, oh yeah, we're going to talk about the realm of spiritual warfare and the demonic. And, and by the way, all that stuff is real. And this passage also can be a reminder that Jesus does. He has authority over any and every demon power or any power of hell that Christians have nothing to fear. And that's all absolutely true. It's worth, it's worth talking about and teaching on. And what I said in the first service was, you know, if enough of you think, well, no, let's, let's talk about that um, in a couple of weeks, I'd be happy to come back to it and talk more about that. But when I was studying originally and thought that's where this was going... I got to the end of the passage here, and that last verse jumped out at me. And so let's read out loud what Jesus told the man. Let's read out loud this verse on the screen. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. See, Friends, this is not a formula for just like radical conversion stories because every Jesus story in your life and mine, they are worth telling. And your Jesus story needs to be told, needs to be told. Our world needs to hear it. In fact, I kind of wish we sort of could just like cut and paste Jesus' words that were, you know, here these words were to that particular man, but I wish we could just like put our own name in there and apply this passage to our individual lives because I think it's instructive. I think Jesus would say, Doug, return home and tell people what Jesus did for you. Vicki, go. Go tell them how much Jesus has done for you. And Yvonne, go. Go and tell people how good God has been to you. And Jackie, go, go and tell the good news of what Jesus has done for you, Aaron and Brittany and Dalton and Bree. Go and tell, fill your name in there. Go and tell them how much Jesus has done for you, what God has done for you, how good God has been to you, Chris and Tanya. Go tell them how good he's been. You don't have to have Bible facts down or have like, you know, some formula remembered. You don't go quote scripture at people. You don't need to learn how to debate apologetics. And please don't use a track to scare the hell out of people. <laughs> Just go and tell them how God has been good to you and how much Jesus has done for you. What God did in that place in those 10 cities, that region, I believe God wants to do to reach our cities and our neighborhoods as well. See, that's how God reaches out to our cities, to our neighborhoods. He does it one person at a time. God's plan, his design is to work through you and 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 you. That's his plan. And it works. Telling our Jesus story, when we do that, people get set free. People get given hope. People find and follow Jesus one at a time when they start to hear what God has done for you. You know, I think sometimes, especially in our area, because we have so many churches, big and small, 
I think sometimes we can assume as Christians, like, oh, that's how God's going to reach our cities. Like, ah, oh, the churches, are, they've got it covered, right? And I'm grateful for all the churches, small and big. We love to partner with churches. But friends, we live in one of the darkest spiritual environments in the nation. And that kind of darkness doesn't just get broken by a bunch of good sermons. I'm a preacher. <laughs> I like sermons. It's not where the power of darkness gets broken. The story we read today out of Luke reminds us that the power of that kind of darkness gets broken one person as, at a time, one person at a time. When you go and tell people one by one what God did for you, how much Jesus has done for you. Here's what God did for me. And that can set people free. We're out of time, so as the worship team comes, I have two challenges for you. First challenge. I want you to tell your story to someone who doesn't yet know Jesus. You can tell them how you came to follow Jesus, or maybe you can tell about how God has helped you get through the storms of your life, through the storm of cancer or divorce or miscarriage or through the death of someone that you love or through addiction. So first challenge, tell your story to someone who doesn't yet know Jesus and do it in the next week or two. Just, we're going to pray for courage, but just tell your story. You don't have to have all the answers. Just tell your story, number one. And number two, um, invite someone. Invite someone to church this season. Because this season starts in our culture, like here, coming up in a couple weeks on Halloween weekend, right? It's trunk or treat and, and uh, into Thanksgiving. And so this is the perfect season to invite people uh, to come to church. We don't do these events just because we think they'd be really fun and the staff doesn't have anything else to do. Um, <laughs> Um, we do these things because we know that they are connection points for folks who don't yet know Jesus. So the Trunk or Treat Chili Cook-Off, you probably know somebody that would maybe show up for something like that. Um, uh, or if somebody is in grief, you know they've lost someone, that Novembering, or the Surviving the Holidays uh, um, seminar the next week. Like, invite somebody to that. We, we've got the Christmas season. We do a whole month, four Sundays that are, are Advent. And so all of December, we are getting ready for and celebrating Christmas. And, and we're going to be telling the story of Jesus. So if you bring someone, we're going to point them to Jesus. So tell your story to somebody who doesn't know Jesus and invite someone to church this season. And, and I'm going to give you just a little nuance on inviting someone to church. Here's, here's a stat. Studies show that if you ask people, one in three, one in three will say yes. You invite them, one in three will say yes, but also um, the statistics show that it takes an average of three invitations before someone actually comes. So if you do the math, you'll invite three people, three times each. How many invitations was that? Oh, you guys are geniuses. Nine invitations. Nine invitations. So choose three people, invite each of them three times, and on average, one of them will come. Also, tell them you'll stay in a seat. That might up the odds a little bit, right? And I'm not saying this to just church, you know, crank up our church growth strategy. This is not about church growth for us. This is about Jesus. See, when we gather here on Sunday, what we get to do when we come together 
is we get to invite and challenge people to follow Jesus, to, to let Jesus change their story like he's changing our story. For, for, for we get to invite them to consider how Jesus might change their story so that they will have a story to tell of what God did for them as well, just like you have. So think of three people. Start inviting them this week. Um, will you stand? Friends, if Jesus has changed your life, you have a story to tell, even if it's not a dramatic story. It doesn't take much to recognize that we need it and we need Jesus more than anything. And every Jesus story is a story worth telling. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Friends, as we sing together, will you open your heart to believe that the love of Jesus repairs every broken place in you and those around us, that the love of Jesus makes us new and that the name of Jesus breaks every power of darkness. So Jesus, we need you. Would you bring your healing now even as we sing together?